Morning, everybody. Uh, my name is David Soren. I am the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Pumped that you're here today. Uh, whether you're back from last week at our grand opening, or maybe today is your first time, we're just really excited that you're here. Hey, today we're going to talk a little bit about living out on the open water as a metaphor. You know, sometimes when you're out on the open water, sometimes it's a lot of fun. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's scary. But a lot of times you just never really know what to expect. A few years ago, uh, my wife, Lindsay, and I were in Massachusetts, and we got an opportunity to go on one of those whale-watching boat rides. Anybody ever done that before? If you ever get out on the coast, do it. It's, it's super fun. It was super cool. And I, I actually did do it. I brought photo evidence. Here, here's a picture of me on the boat. <clears throat> now, if you look closely at my left hand, you can see me clutching the rail there. <laughs> I actually don't remember being scared, but it, it, photos don't lie. So uh, you, before we got on this boat, there's a huge line, and they make this announcement as the crew, and they say, just so you know, if you've never been on one of these whale-watching things before, we are going to give you a preventative motion sickness tablet, some, some medicine that we want you to take, because you are going to get motion sick, so you're going to want to take it. And I looked at my wife, and we thought, like, well, I don't really get motion sick, but, you know, I'll, I'll just trust these people. They just do this every day, so we took it. But there's some people who, are, of course, are going to be like... I'm going to be fine, right? But there's this one lady, she was next to us, and literally she had to, if you know what I'm saying, hug the garbage can the entire trip, right? Because you never really know what to expect when you're out on turbulent waters. Well, this morning we're going to continue in our God Never Fails series, and we're going to talk about how we should live as followers of Christ in this sometimes easy, sometimes hard, sometimes even turbulent life that we live. And in this series, what we're doing is we're teaching verse by verse through Romans chapter 8 in the Bible. Now, Romans, if you never heard of it, is a letter written to uh, the early Christians in Rome. And it's written by a man named the Apostle Paul. And he wrote this letter about only 25 years or so after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, last week, we went through the first few verses of the chapter. And we talked about how there is, therefore, now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, if you believe in Jesus Christ, he has taken the condemnation that we deserved for us. And that's a beautiful promise. And today, as we move into kind of the next few verses of this chapter, we're going to really see the next part of the Christian journey, how we can actually live for God even on turbulent seas. So let's dive in to God's word together. So uh, there's a Bible in front of you uh, on the chairs below you. So everybody grab a Bible, whether you brought one yourself or you want to grab one from the chairs in front of you. We're going to be on page 772 this morning. Uh, and then, as always, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please take this one with you. It's so many people take Bibles last week, and that's a blessing to us. We want you to investigate it, to read it for yourself. There's a little plan in there that'll tell you where you can even start reading. So when you get to page 772... You want to find the big number eight on the page. That's because we're in chapter eight for this series. And then I want you to find the small number five because we are starting at verse five today. Okay, so 772, Romans chapter eight, verse five. I'm just going to read the first verse here. So verse five for now. Paul writes, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Okay, there's a lot there. So let's start to unpack this. This is a Bible teaching church, so uh, this is what we do. I'm going to do everything I can today to help you visualize and to help you understand what this passage means so that you can apply it to your life. Now, before we go any further, I think we actually need to define a couple of words. And the first one I want to define is flesh. 
Because, you know, we talk about the flesh, but when we talk about it in today's world, we talk about it sort of in a biological standpoint. But when the scriptures use the word flesh, they mean something different. And here's what they mean. So I'll put up a definition for you. So flesh in the Bible, when you read that word, it means this. The flesh is our natural and selfish bias that doesn't want to live for God, but instead for ourselves. In fact, without God, the Bible actually teaches that we are incapable of doing good on our own. In theology, this is called the doctrine of total depravity. Now, if you're like, I didn't understand what you said the last 25 seconds, let me explain it by using food. Okay, just imagine this. Imagine that you just had one craving. You only crave one thing, and it was junk food. Now, for a second, you're going, okay, all right. And you, you might consume some of it, and you might, this is in, incredible in the moment, but you, you could rationalize and understand with me that if all you consumed was junk food, well, then eventually it would create some problems in your life, right? Well, it's kind of like what the flesh is. Apart from God, we can only truly crave one thing, and it's not good, and it doesn't lead to anything good. But here's what the Bible teaches. When you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you believe that he died for you. Invite him in to be the leader of your life, your savior. The teaching of the scriptures is that then the Holy Spirit, who is God, that's the spirit we're reading about in this passage, comes into your life. And when the spirit comes into your life, he comes in to guide you, to change you. But one of the other things he does is he also gives you a new craving. And now you have this craving for godliness. And a craving that you actually want to. You are able to do the right thing. So if you go back to the food metaphor, you'll know if you live as a Christian for even 24 hours, you'll know that you're not perfect, right? You're still going to have moments where you find yourself uh, on the couch uh, pounding out a gallon of ice cream, right? That's still going to happen. But now you also have this other craving within you, a craving for things that are healthy, things that are good for you. And essentially what you see in the scriptures is sometimes they describe it as the new man and the old man, that we have these two warring natures that are now within us. Okay, so now understanding some of those terms like flesh and spirit, let's go back and let's read that verse again. So look back down at your Bibles. Here's what Paul says. Those who live according to the flesh, so you're always thinking about yourself and these wrong choices, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. So this is kind of cool because there's an actually a nice test in here for you to understand what is it in my life or where is it in my life that I'm actually, or excuse me, what is it that I'm ultimately living for? Is it the flesh, myself, or is it the spirit? And the way that you tell that is by simply asking yourself, what is it that I am thinking about the most? Because if your mind is always set on yourself, on the flesh, then your life is going to be lived out that way. And if your mind is always set on the spirit, then your life is going to be lived out for God. It kind of makes sense if you play it out. Like, okay, let's say you spend your whole life and you're always thinking about getting rich. Well, how, what are your actions going to look like? Well, you're going to put a lot of effort into getting rich. If you spend your whole life thinking about Star Wars, then you're probably going to end up at a Star Wars convention, right? And with a Star Wars-themed bedroom in your parents' basement. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. Okay, if you, <laughs> if you spend your whole life thinking about a sports or home decor or politics 
or even your children, what will your actions look like? This is the teaching of the scripture that what you think about dictates your actions. And so what Paul is going to do here is he is going to warn you of being wary. He's saying you should be wary of having your mind set on what the flesh desires, of always thinking about what you want. Well, what's the warning? Well, let's keep reading now. So look back down. Let's do verses 6 through 8. Paul says, The mind governed by the flesh, that's just always thinking about yourself, is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. So the flesh is not good. And Paul says that the flesh, that our sinful nature, the part that's always naturally bent towards the wrong thing, it's actually hostile to God. He says it does not submit to his ways. It cannot. It cannot even please him, he says. Whoa. Now, if we're going to actually understand what this means... I think I need to deconstruct one more thing that you may be thinking about when I say the word flesh. When I say the word flesh, a lot of you are thinking primarily of sensual sins, right? Or maybe sins of passion or indulgence or impulsiveness. But that's not actually the best base biblical definition for the flesh. The main way that we sin against God and set ourselves up against God is through our pride. If you're going to look at all the scriptures, or it's through our our own self-reliance. Living in the flesh is essentially when you put yourself on the throne instead of God. There's a really good framework to think through this. Uh, There's a pastor named J.D. Greer who came up with this thing called the five selves. And this is really helpful to look at because it's a holistic way of looking at how we actually live out the flesh. And I want to show this to you. So let's throw this up on the screen. So the five selves are essentially this. This is us depending on ourselves. Self-will. That's when we live our lives saying, I want my will to be done. And so I'm going to decide what I want to do. And if you want to write this down, you can. You can just take a picture with it at your phone and then write it down later. I want my will to be done. So I'm going to decide how I live my life and where I go and what I do. We also live in self-glory a lot. That's so like when things actually work out because of our choices and you get a promotion or you marry this incredible person and we go, all right, thank you very much. I did that. There's self-gratification. This is the one that we all think of when you think of the flesh. That's my pleasure comes first. And it doesn't always have to be a sensual thing. Sometimes it's just as simple as, let's say your neighbor asks you to help them out. Or someone at church says, hey, we want you to lead this or serve here. And you go, well, that would just take a lot of work. So I'm not, we just, we look at ourself, our pleasure first. Self-righteousness, that's I'm good enough on my own. I don't need God. Self-sufficiency, we love this one in Minnesota, right? And that's where we say, I can handle this. I can do this. I can fix this. And those five selves are actually a more holistic way to look out how Christians actually live out of the flesh. Because if I just say the flesh, you're like, oh, that's those people. They're you know, committing those really bad. And we kind of, you kind of write yourself off from it. But this is all us, right? We are all over this. Living in the flesh is essentially sitting on God's throne. And if you live that way, you cannot please God. And if that still doesn't quite make sense to you, I, I hope this helps. I'm, I'm going to, if it's okay with you, I'm going to use this a chair for a second. Now, let's pretend that there is a king of Blaine, okay? 
And this is his throne. And there's a, a castle. They, they turn the city hall into a castle down on 109th there, okay? And there's a king of plain, and you are his subject, and you work at the castle. But let's say that you are constantly, multiple times a day, sitting on the king's throne. And there's a lot of self-will in there. There's a lot of you going, uh, excuse me, uh, your highness, if you would just, <laughs> yeah, if you could just scoot off a little bit. I know you have a plan, and you have a, a plan for the city and how things should go, but actually if you would just, you know what, I, I've got some better plans, <laughs> actually. So I really know how things should go, and so actually, no, if you could just stay over there. This, this is what we're going to do. Here's how it's going to go down. And we do that all day long to God, right? And then there's also a lot of self-sufficiency. We do that a lot because the king says, I have the power to do this in your life. I have the power, not only the plan, I have the power to carry this out. But we are so self-reliant. And so we say, actually, again, I know you say that, but in all honesty, if you could just move to the side and we say, you know what? If you want to get something done, then you do it yourself. All right, let me take care of this. I will. No, I know you can, but I will get this done. And here's actually the worst of it. We do the self-will thing. We do the self-sufficiency thing. But then when things actually appear anyways that they're working out, I mean, this one's almost the worst. We say again to the king, we say again, yeah, if you could just move. Actually, for this one, if you could even go kind of back behind the wall there, that'd be great. We love to glory in ourselves, right? Boy, did I pull that one off. If you could just couple more of you could just heart that on Instagram right there. I just, it's, uh, thank you. I worked hard. I did it. Yep, it's David, S-O-R-N. Thank you very much. And we just glory. We, let, we just glory in our accomplishments as we push the king aside. Now, biblically, what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is it's not a king of blame. It's the king of heaven. And we're saying, no, seriously, if you could just get to the side. And we sit on his throne. So that's what the Bible is teaching when it says your self, your flesh, it is actually hostile to God. It cannot please God. You think the king would be pleased with that? Of course not. Right? But that's what happens when we set our minds on the flesh. But for so many of us, we are so We've just marinated ourselves in this sort of thinking in our culture that we're not even aware that we're doing it. I pray that in this country, we would just wake up to biblical truth, especially when it comes to this teaching about the self. Do not be deceived by the world, my friends. If you set your mind on the flesh, on finding life in yourself, Paul is not lying when he says that will lead to death, not to life in peace. You think about how just ingratiated this is in our culture. We've spent the last two or three generations now diving deeper and deeper and deeper into this false thinking of I will find life and peace and meaning in myself. For goodness sakes, we teach this constantly to children in this country. But you can just study this in educational movements over the last well, since really the 1980s, right? And the phrases have changed over time, but the thinking is all the same. You will find life and meaning and life and peace in yourself, right? There was the self-esteem movement where we just focused on telling kids 
how incredible they are and how amazing they are, right? We don't tell kids that you're actually a naturally born sinner, right? right? We say, you are amazing. And then we change the words, right? And we say, well, it's really important that you follow your dreams. If you just follow your self-will, right, eventually you will find meaning. And then we change that to follow your heart and then live out your desires. And now we say things like, you do you and you live out your truth. And if you take all of those things and you boil it down, what you find at the core is the five selves, It's the idea that if you live out your will, your dream, you get the glory, you will find life and peace. And yet every generation that we raise in the obsession of the self is just more anxious than the one before. Am I right? I'm totally right. Because it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Because trying to find life and peace by setting your mind on what the flesh desires is like trying to jam a round peg into a square hole. Or a square peg into a round hole. That probably makes more sense. (laughs) You knew what I was saying. Okay, so, well, where do you find life and peace if it's not in that then? It's in the Word. We've got to stop thinking the answer is in our culture. How fast is our culture changing? Um, This isn't true just in America. It's all around the world. Culture shifts constantly if you study history. What doesn't shift is the timeless word of God. It's right in the word. Look at it again. Verse 6. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. There it is. A mind that has set itself to be governed by, to be led by the spirit, the king, actually is the mind that finds life in peace. Okay, let me keep explaining this. Think of it this way. Okay, let's say now you are out on the ocean. But this time you're in a sailboat out in the middle of the ocean and maybe, you know, 20 miles away from land. And let's say you've refused to put your sails up. So you're on a sailboat without the sails up. And you're way off track. But let's say you get to this point where you recognize it And now you want to go home, and you want to get back on the right path. You want to do the right thing. And so like any American, what you do first is you think of yourself. And this is how you talk to yourself. You say, you know what? Okay, it's time to get my life right again. It's time to get on the right track. The reality is, I can do this. I can do this. I got this. You ever listen to like athletes talk? Even like business leaders, right? This is how we talk. Like the Rocky music starts playing in our head. Like, I can do this. You know, I'm even going to have fun doing this. And when I do this, when I get my life back on track and I get there, people are going to be singing my name when I get to the... This is how we talk. And what is that? I'll tell you what it is. It is self, 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 self. And that's what we've been indoctrinated in. And so I guess in some ways it shouldn't be a surprise that we think that's the answer to all of our problems. But here's what we do. Okay, so you're out on the ocean, you're 20 miles away from land, and you decide, I'm going to get my life back on the right track again. What most of us come up with is we actually keep our sails down. And we go, you know who's going to do this? I'm going to do this. And here's what we do. Let's just pretend for a second. If you would indulge me for a moment. Let's pretend that this little riser here, let's pretend this is a sailboat. Rather than throwing our sails up, this is how we solve our problems in modern-day America. We get onto the edge of our sailboat, and we go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to, I am going to paddle my way home. And we just start paddling, right? Like, I'm going to turn my life around. Look at me go, right? And you've got problems in your life. Maybe, maybe you're full-blown in addiction, 
Addiction is a massive problem in this country in the last 18 months. People are addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. And how do people think they solve it, before, especially before they get in recovery? They go, you know what I'll do? Tomorrow, I will try harder. I will do it. I'm going to paddle my life back on track. Or maybe your marriage is just broken right now. And you're arguing with your spouse every night. And the only thing you can think of, because this is how we solve problems in this country, is you look at your spouse and you think, honey, you know what? I'll fix this. I will try harder. And again, we're just on the sailboat. And we're, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. And your life just isn't working. And it's falling apart. Or maybe you just feel like an awful parent. And you're screaming at your kids. And it isn't working. You look yourself in the mirror at night and you say, Tomorrow, I will be a good mom. Tomorrow, I'll be a patient dad. I'll just swim harder. And I'll just paddle my sailboat back to the right track. And let me just ask you the question. What happens when you do that? What happens? Nothing happens. Maybe, maybe your boat spins in circles. But all you really get is disillusionment. You get frustration. You get even more anxiety because it's not working. This is the state of our world. Due to a society that literally thinks the answer to every question is ourselves. But listen to me. Listen to the word of God. Life in the spirit, the Christian life, looks completely different. The entire Christian life is about raising sails. It's about saying, I can't do this on my own. No, I I literally cannot. So I'm going to raise the sails on my boat, and I'm going to finally acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is the wind that pushes my life along. This is exactly where we're reading the Bible. It's Romans chapter 8. I'm setting my mind on him. I'm going to let myself be governed by him and his direction and his wind and his power. And you want to know what's really fascinating? I'll show you what this actually looks like. And what it looks like is actually opposite of the flesh. It's the opposite of selfishness. So let's throw the five selves back up there again. And I will show you the opposite because the opposite is life in the spirit. That's the contrast that Paul is making. So self-will, which a lot of us are stuck in. I'm going to decide what happens in my life, how I behave, how I live, the choices I make. Self-will now becomes the words of Jesus Christ. Not my will be done, but your will be done. And you know what that's like? It's like raising your sails. You know what? I've been trying to make it all work myself, but God, you just lead me. You tell me where to go because you never fail. Self-glory, this I'm going to work hard so people can praise me and then I'll be happy. I get the credit becomes you get the credit. You raise those sails. You know what? I'm, I'm going to stop striving for my own glory. I'm just... Blow me along. I'll go where you want me to go. You get the glory. Self-gratification, this idea that I'll find something in myself. My pleasure comes first becomes your glory comes first. You know what I'm living for is deeper than my own pleasure. It's God's glory. You lead me. Self-righteousness, I'm good enough on my own. Because I'm not. I'm not and I never will be good enough on my own. But Jesus Christ loves me anyway. Throw those sails up. Self-sufficiency. 
I'm in addiction. My marriage is broken. My career is broken. It's not, if I just work harder, I can fix this myself. It becomes, I can't fix this without you. But Jesus, you have the power to fix this. I throw up my sails. And my friends, there is absolutely incredible release in that. Can you even just feel your body relaxing as you hear biblical truth on that? It's so countercultural to what you hear. See, that's, that's that round hole that you were made for. As, as a sailboat is designed to catch the wind, so every human being is designed to surrender and catch the power of God in their lives. You just simply weren't designed to paddle. And that's why you're never going to find life in peace in this. That's not what you were made for. You were designed, you were made to have the Spirit of God lead you, empower you, and move in your lives. And that's incredible. And so the question, I think, for every single person in this room is where is it? Where is it in your life right now? And just, if you could just pick one thing even, where is it that you are paddling hard right now? And if you're totally honest with yourself, it's not working. And you just need to say, Lord, I'm throwing them up. I'm giving this decision over to you. I'm going to stop striving to do this myself. Where is it? And even as we sing a final song here in a few minutes, have that conversation with God. Say, I'm throwing it up. I'm surrendering to you. And if you will, let me just take a few more minutes because for some of you in this room, the next few verses in this passage are actually the most important. So let's just read 9 through 11. Here's what Paul says. He says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. For if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Christ. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. Okay, so what Paul is saying is this. If everything we just talked about from verses 5 through 8, if that's true, really the most important question for all of us is this. Do you have the Spirit of God in you? Because you can't raise your sails if you don't have the Spirit in you. You won't have the power to change your life or to experience God's love or His forgiveness, His freedom from bondage and sin unless the Spirit comes in your life. So let me just point blank ask you. Have you invited God into your life to be your king? I'm not just saying, like, did you come to church today? Because there are a lot of people in America who say, yeah, I kind of grew up in the church. I got confirmed. I did this thing. I guess I'm a a, a Christian. That's not what a Christian is in Scripture. A Christian is someone who has said, not perfectly, but has essentially said to the king, sit on the throne of my life. Lead me. I believe that you died for me, and now I'm asking you to lead me. That is a Christian. Christian just means like a little Christ or follower of Christ. Have you done that? Have you invited him in? Because God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. All of them. And if you believe in that, you say, I do believe that you died for a sinner like me. But I want to give my life to you. Then he will forgive you of everything you've ever done. And even better than that, the spirit that we're talking about, who also is God, comes into your life 
gives you the power to raise sails, to defeat sin, to get your marriage back on track, to get your life back on track, because now the sails are up. That happens though when you invite Jesus into your life, not if you're just paddling harder on your own. And the promise is, I mean, that would be enough, right? But the promise is even better. Look one more time at verse 11. Paul says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What's that saying is, if you believe that Jesus died for you and you invite the spirit in your life, that same, that same God who raised Jesus from the dead, when you die someday, he will raise you from the dead and you will live forever in eternity in heaven with God. And so it's not only this incredible promise for your life right here, right now, it's an incredible promise for eternity. And my question to you is, have you actually ever done this, where you've invited Jesus Christ to be the king of your life by saying, I believe you died for me. Come and lead me. And if you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Let's just close our eyes just for a minute. Let's everybody just kind of bow their heads just for a moment. If you're here... And for the first time today, you need to tell Jesus that I have to stop trying to fix everything on my own. I need to just surrender my life to you. I want to be forgiven by you. I want you to come into my life. I will be your follower. That's a decision you can make right now, and he will come in and change your life. Forgive everything you've ever done. Save you from hell. Save you for all of eternity. It is the best promise you could ever hear. But it is a decision you have to make. And without it, you can't be saved. And without it, you'll just keep paddling. And so if you're here this morning and you need to make a decision to say, God, I surrender. I'm, I'm letting you into my life. Save me. As a way to sort of mark that surrender to him, as a way to symbolically raise up your sail to him, what I want you to do is to just, if that's you, to just raise up your hand where you're at to him to say, that's me. I need to be forgiven. I need to let you be the leader of my life and into, come into my life. Forgive me now. If that's you and you need to do that for the first time, will you just raise your hand up? Raise your sail wherever you are if you need to do that. Go ahead and just raise it up. Anyone here where you're just going, man, I am striving on my own. I need the king of heaven come into my life and actually sit on my throne. I've got to give up the chair today and let him forgive me. If that's you, would you just... I'll give you about five or ten more seconds. If that's you, would you just raise your hand up to him? Say, God, I need you today. Anyone in here? All right, I'm not seeing anyone this service. Uh, we, we had a, a, a... Oh, actually, you know what? Okay. Yep, I see you. Um, well, we could pray. Anyone else who needs to make this decision? But you said, this is the time in my life where I'm going to stake my life on you. Anyone else? All right, let's pray. Uh, if, if, if you're praying this for the first time or you believe this your whole life, I want you to just repeat this after me. Dear God, I confess to you that I have sinned against you. But God, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to take my place. And God, I thank you for forgiving my sins 
And now I commit to following you with my life. Uh, If you made this decision for the first time today, uh, we want to give you some resources to what does it mean to actually make this decision? To say, I want to live for Jesus Christ. We want to help you with that. So in just a second, I'm going to pray. If you made this decision, and maybe you didn't even raise your hand, but you're going, this happened in my heart. I want you to listen to this too. If you're making this decision today, in just a second, I'm going to go out in the lobby. Some of our follow-up team members are going to go out there as well, and they will meet you. And we're going to give you some extremely important resources to get started in this. And then you'll be able to come back in the service. So you know kind of, okay, what do I do now that I made this decision? All right, we're thankful. The Lord's just doing this every service this morning. So it's just been cool. So let's just, I'm going to pray, and then we will celebrate and and worship in song uh, and just pray to the Lord. Okay, I'll pray, and if you made that decision, you you can head out. All right, Lord, thank you so much for what you're doing. We just give you the glory. For the number of people this morning who have just made this decision, God, I, I thank you. God, help us to be a people that would get off your chair. Lord, help us to be a people that would set our minds on you instead of ourselves. May we look different to the people around us. And may we spend this time, even this last song, to just set our minds on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.